the Cleveland Cavaliers select Evan Mobley. It's been a historical franchise in this league for years. We have a trade to announce. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the NBA Front Office Show. We've got a lot to break down today. Plus, we're going to give you our top three teams to watch heading into the trade deadline. Some news to get into first, though. Keith Smith joining me at Keith Smith NBA over on Twitter. Keith, I'm getting excited. Clay Thompson looks like he's coming back on Sunday. I'm ready for it. The Warriors have been great without him, but I can't wait to see Clay finally get back out on the floor. Yeah, and I, I think it's really cool too that the, there's not like this ton of pressure for him to come yeah. back and save the season or anything like that. So that should give him the time he needs to ramp back up. As you said, they they've been great, so they're going to add another. Uh, Presumably, he hasn't lost any of his shooting touch. That's yeah. usually not something that goes uh, for guys. And then we'll see, you know, what he looks like as a defender. Previously, he was an all-in, uh, all-defensive uh, level kind of guy uh, in the past. But, but I mean, you're gonna add him to Steph and Draymond and Wiggins is playing well, and to get bench production out of a whole bunch of guys. I mean, this is just the rich getting richer here. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. Sometimes, though, I mean, defense drops off pretty quick if you start to lose your athleticism. So if the injuries have sapped some of that athleticism from Clay, maybe we see a shift there, but he's still going to provide plenty of shooting. I don't know. What are you expecting from him right out of the gates? I'm assuming very limited minutes. Yeah, my guess is probably somewhere in the 15 to 20 minute range, yeah. probably a couple stints each half. And then that'll work up as the season goes along. And, and my guess is just get some touches, do, do what he does. I mean, this guy once scored like 60 points or whatever with like four dribbles yeah. or some <laughs> absurd number. So uh, my guess is he'll still do that. And then uh, they'll work him in. He's probably not, if remember at the height of their powers, they would play him on the opposing point guard yeah. quite often and would shift Steph off ball and that additional size on those point guards, especially guys like Chris Paul and the like, gave those guys a lot of trouble over the years. My guess is they don't do a lot of that. Yeah. He probably just you know comes in and defends a, another wing alongside Wiggins. I, I do think he probably starts right away. That, that would be my guess. Uh, that can also be a little bit easier to control minutes that way mm -hmm. um, if a guy starts because you're not having to work him in based on game flow but we'll, we'll we'll see you know what it looks like but yeah it sounds like sunday's the day and we'll start figuring that out i also think in terms of warm-ups sometimes it's easier for players who are coming back Absolutely. from injuries to to yep. warm up and get right into a game rather than warm up sit down on the bench you're there for 15 minutes or whatever then you get into the game then you cool off again you know it's it's that back and forth can be a little bit more of a challenge yep. so i agree i think starting it would make sense and like you said the, the great thing about the warriors this season is they've been so good that Let's say he's he's struggling at first or something like that. They've got a lot of other guys that they can lean on that are used to taking on that burden. You mentioned Andrew Wiggins. He's been very good. Gary Payton II has stepped up for them. They've got a number of these role guys that have stepped up and done things for them. Jordan Poole. We could talk about Otto Porter Jr. So even if Clay doesn't quite have the ability to do heavy lifting right now, that's okay. That's okay. He can work with training wheels on for the next month or, or more as he gets reacclimated to playing NBA basketball games. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely spot on. It's it's almost an ideal situation here. And, and, and the good thing, too, is we're talking about it's early January. So he's going to have three full months of, of NBA action to kind of get up to speed before the playoffs even start. So they're, they're a title contender, and uh, now they're getting one. And this is almost like one of those when we talk about these all the time, this is like a trade dad trade deadline acquisition yeah. for for the Warriors, but it's one where they get a guy without having to give anything up at all. Now that could that can be huge to to help lift a team. Uh I was gonna say from good to great, but they're already pretty great. Yeah, right. So it's it's you know, I don't know, great to favorite or something like that. So we'll 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 see. But yeah, I mean they 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 look like they're they're ready to take off. And a guy that you don't even have to teach the system to because he already exactly. knows it on like a, a trade yep. deadline acquisition. Um last night the Warriors took on the Miami Heat and the Warriors saw Steph Curry shoot three for 17 and they still won 115 to 108 um in large part because all the yeah, other guys it, picked it sorry up. sorry if i can yeah you're mentioning all the dead sorry i stepped on your point no you're fine um but yeah it's it's that scary that they still put up 115 points and rolled not rolled because miami was in it for most of the game but right but still get a victory over another good team when steph doesn't even play well like that is that that's what to me says, man, this team is ready, uh, you know, for, for a big, big playoff run. I mean, it should be mentioned that it's Miami, right? I mean, they were missing a yeah, number of exactly. players and then had Jimmy Butler go down during the game. Now, it wasn't like Butler didn't play. He played 28 minutes, had 22 points, 7 of 14 shooting. He made an impact on the game, but did suffer an ankle injury. But still, even though the Heat were depleted, still it is impressive that you can have Steph have such a poor game shooting-wise and still get the win because you've got all these other guys that can step up and kind of fill that role. I mean, Jordan Poole had 32 points. Like, how, how ridiculous is that to have, oh, Steph's not playing well? Okay, no big deal because Jordan Poole is going to come off the bench and drop 32 for us. Yeah, exactly. And you've got in a situation there with the the Warriors, too, where the last couple years, now, what was it, two years ago, Steph missed almost the entirety of the season. Mm -hmm. So that, that really kind of ruined things. And, of course, they didn't have Clay all year. But then it was those other guys just weren't ready for that. So I really think those kind of two years of, the, the one really awful year where it was press all these guys, get all the minutes that they could possibly handle as a lot of them like pool as a rookie and some of those other guys. And then last year, those guys continue to play quite a bit. That's now paying off for the warriors here this year, because as we said, Jordan pool, you know, that was our guy. Remember we, yep. we loved him going back to the preseason. Uh, I think we, we were both high on him maybe as sixth man of the year mm -hmm. had he, not uh started so much so well now that's dropped off i think a little bit i think others have come forward in that role but still i mean still a really good good player and he's probably the prime example of a guy who took advantage of those opportunities to learn and grow on the fly and now that the team is back to being a title contender now he's a key contributor off their bench yeah yep uh jimmy butler sprained ankle had issues putting any weight on it coming off the floor that could be a big deal from Miami. Miami currently sitting in the four seed in the Eastern Conference. Have the Cavs behind them, a uh, game and a half back of the Miami Heat. Uh, Miami's dealt with you know, a lot of players being out now. What, what does this mean, assuming that they are going to be missing Jimmy Butler for a bit here? Yeah, it's this is tough. And this is part of why I didn't love Miami as a regular season team. Mm -hmm. They just don't have a lot of uh, depth. They're in there now, kind of 
similar-ish to the Warriors, uh, except they're not doing it in a completely bottom-out uh, scenario. Some of these guys are stepping forward and getting some good, valuable minutes. Guys like Omer Yurt 7, now yeah. they've got a valuable backup big man. Max Struess, uh, when he has played, has stepped up. Gabe Vincent, when he's been in there, has stepped up. But at some point, you hit a kind of a point of no return with, with these injuries. Now, the good thing is, None of them are season ending. Uh, they should all be back mm-hmm. uh, eventually, but it's probably going to mean a couple rough weeks, if especially if Butler needs to miss any time. And it didn't look good when when he went oh. down. Now, Eric Spolster said post game Jimmy Butler will say he's fine and that he's ready to go. But I, I mean, that's probably just Jimmy Butler being tough. That's Jimmy to Butler being Jimmy Butler. He could be <laughs> exactly. missing a limb and he'd be doing the right? he'd yeah. be doing the uh, the Monty Python. It's just a scratch. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because my thing is you don't get helped off the court and then immediately, uh, you know, walk back on generally. So, you know, so we'll see, you know, where that goes with him. Uh, speaking of the Cleveland Cavaliers who are again, a game and a half behind the Miami heat, uh, did just trade for Rajon Rondo. We can finish off that trade. Well, I guess let's just mention it now. The Knicks did decide to go ahead and wave, uh, wave Valentine. So he's out. He'll be a free agent now. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if a team picks up uh, Denzel Valentine or not. But the Cavs also lost Isaac Okoro now to an elbow injury out two to three weeks. And again, this is a Cavs team that was just scrambling to try to replace Ricky Rubio, and they're getting Rajon Rondo to do that. And now you're going to be missing Isaac Okoro as well. And as I just mentioned, Jimmy Butler missing for the Miami Heat. It seemed like maybe there was an opportunity here perhaps for the Cavs to move up in the standings and maybe even get home court advantage. You know, obviously we're a ways away from locking in these standings, but still now they suffer another injury themselves though. So this is, it's gotta be frustrating at this point for the Cavs to just, they've had such a bright season to now getting mm-hmm. hit with all these injuries. Yeah. Two, three weeks for a core that he's going to be down. So better prognosis than the Rubio and Colin Sexton. Sure. Who both look like they'll miss the rest of the season, but a is their only real kind of, wing-ish player um on this roster outside of jetty osmond yeah. and and um you know that that's that's tough because you're gonna have to kind of continue to patchwork this thing as you go forward here they'll get darius garland back it sounds like uh you know within the next couple of days as he'll come back out of the health and safety protocols uh as you said they have rondo rondo will come in now as garland's backup but those aren't two guys you really can play together i mean they maybe they will just because they kind of have to it's not ideal but this puts for at least the next couple of weeks puts a lot of pressure on guys like lamar stevens mm-hmm. uh who's really more of a three than he is a two um and then um dylan windler who's been unable to stay healthy uh for most of his career uh the first three years i hit or two and a half years now i guess he's missed considerable time but then they've got rj nemhard on a two-way so you're gonna see some names you probably aren't overly familiar with for the Cavs just because they're going to need those guys. Uh, it makes me wonder, we, we've said over and over again, the guy like Karis LeVert makes a lot of sense for mm-hmm. this team. Now, do you get LeVert? Cause he kind of fills almost two roles. He could be that's that starting wing alongside Garland and also then shift over and be uh, in effect the, the backup point guard. Um, you know, if not LeVert, somebody like that, I think, you know, if Okoro, it, again, it sounds like two, three weeks, so he'll be back you know, before the end of January, at least uh, probably about uh, three weeks or so ahead of the trade deadline. But it's a spot where you can use some depth anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the Cavs have lost four of their last six games. They're in a bit of a skid, but I'll tell you what, I'm excited for tonight. 
It's going to be Cavs against Grizzlies, two of the young teams yep. in the NBA that have really made waves this season. And Darius Garland is not on the injury report anymore. So should be back in action tonight to take yep. on John Morant. This is going to be a great awesome. matchup. I'm excited for this one. And the Grizzlies are coming off stomping the Nets yep. last night in Brooklyn. That's the only downside for them. They're coming in on a back-to-back with travel. But, I mean, they they went in and handled Brooklyn with ease. If you look at the final score, it probably looks closer than you're probably like, oh, that's not that bad. But it wasn't as close as that final score looks. I mean, they really hammered uh, that that uh, team and really, really you know took care of them with very little problem. Uh, they're, they're in Brooklyn, especially led by Ja, who, who was great once again. Uh, player of the week, Ja Morant. I wish, and yes, he his player of the week, which is, I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I wish there was a way to remove that from the schedule. The back-to-back with travel. Um, yeah, it's, it's so, cra- because you finish a game, just think, Really, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't travel well in terms of, I if I travel, <laughs> if I'm on like a red-eye flight, I don't sleep. I, don't, I just, I can't sleep on, on plane. So I just, wherever I, I wind up, I'm exhausted the entire next day. Well, these guys travel all night. And then they have to play another NBA game less than 24 hours after completing one. Like the toll on the body has got to be immense. And so you're getting a lower quality of basketball as a result of that. And I know the schedule is really tough, but I would love if there was some way to prevent that from happening because that's that's tough on teams, particularly older teams. The older teams really struggle with situations like that. I know it's been a thing for years, but back to back on the road with travel where you're traveling all night, that's that's rough. Speaking of back-to-back with travel, yeah. did you see what happened to the Nets? I saw your with tweet. With that rescheduled game. Insane. Oh, man, that is rough. They are – so in case anybody didn't see it, what, what happened with – if, if we go back, we remember the Nets had a handful of games wiped out, and, and a couple of them were when they were on the West Coast, uh, or I guess only one was a West Coast game. But what they're going to do now is this Sunday, they're going to play, their game was moved up from an evening game to an afternoon game. They're going to play the Spurs at noon uh, this Sunday in Brooklyn. Then Monday night at 10 p.m., they're going to play 10 p.m. Eastern time. They're going to play the Portland Trailblazers. So that is one of the further trips you can make in the NBA because yeah. it's you know Brooklyn to Portland, and they've they've got to do it on a back to back. Now they do have the benefit of getting you know the game with San Antonio done, but that's not something the NBA does. You never go East Coast to West Coast, West Coast to East Coast, and play a back to back game. You do those within the same. Generally, it's within the same time zone. Maybe it might be. You know, an mm-hmm. hour shift here and there, especially out on the west with Phoenix and Denver and those teams. Denver, but yeah. it's it's uh, been Utah as well. But with but yeah, uh, playing a home game at noon on a Sunday, headed to Portland to play a road game. But and then they have to go from there. They fly back um, to Chicago to play on uh, Wednesday, and then a back to back back home in Brooklyn on Thursday. So it's four games in uh, five days with going east west travel date central and then back east again so just a rough rough run here for for the nets coming thank goodness they've got Kyrie back for those road games i think they're they're absolutely going to need him because they're going to be some tired legs there i mean this is like this would be like if the nfl scheduled a team for monday night football and thursday night football in the same week yeah that's that's pretty much what what we're seeing here close to that absolutely All right, uh, let's get into, oh, you know what? We mentioned this, we talked about this a little bit right before we came on the air. Jeremy Grant, 
the Pistons. Yeah. Not a, it's not a surprise at all. We know a lot of teams in the NBA are looking for wings right now. That's what eh, that's what's in demand. But they've been getting a lot of calls on Jeremy Grant right now. Do the Pistons make a move? He was so excited about going to the Pistons, what that meant for him. But do you see them actually moving on? Yeah, I think they could. I, I think that that means a lot, mm-hmm. but it only means a lot if one, if the team is winning. Yeah. Um, they're starting that process uh, of the uh, climb upwards. Um, and then you, the deeper you get into the contract, it starts to mean less as well. Um, yeah, now, my big pushback last offseason, or last season rather, was when people were throwing Jeremy Grant in there. I was like, boy, that's really, you know, kind of spitting in the guy's face of like, yeah, we're going to turn right around and trade right. you. Like, that's not, you don't it's do the, that. The Blake Griffin with the but Clippers. The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's tough. Now, the Griffin one, even that's a little different because, you know, sure. you got a full max deal. He'd been with LA for years and years, but yeah, it's, I do think it's more likely than not, um, that the Pistons are open to moving him. Um, whether they do or not, that depends. I think it's interesting because Jeremy Grant's kind of a, a guy you look at and you say, man, the numbers are pretty good. Then you dig into him a little bit more and the efficiency is not so good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's a lot of turnovers there, a lot of missed shots. Then you dig a little deeper and you're like, well, look at who he's, played with last you know season and a half that's that's also not all that great and you start to envision put him back in denver type role where he's you know your fourth best guy and playing off some other guys you can start to really build it up to all right i get where we're going with this so i my guess is they really explored and if a team really says yeah you know jeremy grant we think he puts us over the top to contend then yeah, then I think Detroit probably does, you know, say, Barry Little, let's, you know, do this. And Kate Cunningham and crew, that's who we're building around, and off we go. When you're being asked to be the guy on a bad team, and that's maybe a little bit above what you are as a, as a basketball player, it's hard to have solid efficiency in, in that type yeah, of situation. Really so, so I do think if he yeah. went back to a better team, then his efficiency is going to go up because his shot quality is going to go up. Right now you see a lot of, and I, I know he's hurt right now, but... In general, the Pistons will get into troubled situations, then you know, low in the shot clock, and then, well, okay, here, Jeremy Grant, you're our guy, make something happen. Yep. <laughs> that that yeah, those yeah. are efficiency killers. Uh, but Jeremy Grant contractually, twenty related to to that, it's yeah. always sorry, just one thing, and I always think it's funny. There's there's a thing out there where where there's a strong belief that Michael Jordan in his career probably would have shot five to ten, probably closer to five percentage points better. Uh, on his career average and obviously then per season if he didn't have to take all those bailout shots Hmm. um, at the end of the shot clock at the end of quarter at the end of game where it's like hey you got to make something happen for us there was a that that same kind of thing existed with kobe bryant as well of you know for years especially after the post shack era um it was very kobe (laughs) <laughs> you know, go make it happen, you know, and, and that's, that's how it goes. I mean, the way I see it now with Jason Tatum yeah. on the Celtics, they, they generally tend to throw him the ball when you get under about 10 seconds in the shot clock and it's make something happen here for us. And, and it, it can be tough on those guys. Now the, the, the best ones make it happen more often than not and they move, move along, but yeah, it, it really does uh, ding up a guy's efficiency pretty badly. So contractually, Jeremy Grant, $20 million this season. Pretty reasonable for a 27-year-old wing that is, you know, pretty productive. Um, $20.9 million next season. 
Heard some rumblings, though, that he might want an extension and somewhere close to a max if he's traded somewhere. Uh, what's the scenario with that in terms of getting an extension done? Let's say they do trade him. What is the incoming team looking at if they are expecting to keep him long term? Yeah, so a couple couple pieces with that. One, he's not even eligible to sign an extension yet. I uh, have to be two years after you sign the initial deal, so okay. that would be sometime uh, next year. But the the reality is, I don't know that any teams. No one's going to a max for him. Sure. It's just, he's just not a max player. Um, he would have to really go somewhere and just dominate on a good good team, lead a big playoff run, and to to, to get to those numbers. But what you could see is someone say all right, with the way the cap's going to go and what you can do for us, yeah, we can go 24, 25 million yeah. a year and kind of that. It's it's just below the max uh, level, but you're, you're talking for him now. He is a, what is he? He's a seven-year veteran, so you're talking he, he's getting into that uh, uh, second tier. So, like, you're talking a max deal for him uh, would be, that's like 30 seven million dollars that's, that's pushing it yeah that's not yeah that's that's too much you, but 24 25 yeah that that seems reasonable that's a bump up from where he is now um and that kind of kind of gets you moving even with the cap rising 37 million is too much he is in a spot though where he can influence his his destination should the pistons decide okay we're going to sure. we're going to trade him He's a free agent, not this offseason, but the following one. He can say, hey, you know, Team X, I, I don't particularly want to go play for you. If you trade for me, I'll play for you. But just so you know, I'm going to leave in free agency. Right? And that and that can scare yeah, away teams. We've seen that. It, absolutely. I think if you're the the acquiring team, you look at it as, hey, come in and let's let's see where it goes. Yes. You know, because they'll still have it. They'll still have bird rights on them. They they would be able to pay him more uh, than than anybody else could, assuming you know you're going all the way up to the those crazy numbers. And and we'll have to see. And that's one where his agent really needs to be doing a couple different things. You need to be looking at all right, where are we going? What's your role going to be? What's your production going to look like? Plus, what's the cap environment going to look like in the summer of 2023 when he's a free agent? Because if you're talking seven eight teams with cap space. Jeremy Grant's probably going to be near the top of those lists mm -hmm. where guys are, you know, teams and uh, that are going to be looking at him uh, for, for those guys. But if, if you're talking four or five teams with cap space and maybe those teams are, you know, have needs elsewhere, that becomes a little bit harder to, to make work. Okay. Let's, um, before we get into our teams to keep an eye on, let's talk Ryan Archidiacono. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's what we wanted to. Um, okay. Situation. So had a contract with the Knicks. And then the NBA said, uh-uh, no, you don't. Yep. What's what's going on here? Yeah, so what happened was he signed one of those 10-day hardship deals uh, with, with the Knicks. Um, as we've seen, those are very common around the NBA right now. Uh, but two things happened here. One we already talked about. The Knicks waived Wayne Selden to open a roster spot for Denzel Valentine. The league's more... Bob, we're good. But then they wave Valentine. The one already it starts to be you need to add a guy on a hardship when you just waived a player who's perfectly valid and could play for you. Right. So that's already one part of it. The other part was the Knicks got a couple guys back out of the health and safety protocols. Uh, Mitchell Robinson and uh, Jericho Sims. So now they're both bigs and Archie Diakono's a guard and all that stuff, but whatever. But from, from the hardship, it doesn't look at positions, right? Be, be the Denver Nuggets in the first part of the bubble and play uh, Jokic at point guard and Bull Bull mm -hmm. as your two guard. Right. Move, move about your day. 
But what they're really looking at is it's just about bodies. You you gotta you know figure this out. So so the league comes back and says you're not eligible for that hardship, and they void that contract. So Archie Diakono heads back to uh, uh, NBA free agency, back back to the G League. Here's the twist though: tomorrow, January fifth, teams can start signing players to standard or regular ten day contracts. Those open up on the fifth. So what we're gonna see here is Archie Diakono is likely to just hang out today and then he'll probably sign with the Knicks tomorrow on a 10 day on a regular 10 day. And then, then they'll bring him in and that, and he'll just slide into that open roster spot uh, that, that they have open after the Valentine waiver. So, so that's probably how this is going to go down and off we go. It just, that'll be a regular 10 day that'll count against mm-hmm. the tax count against the cap and, and all that stuff. But the Knicks are so far below like the tax there. They're uh, about 17 million below the tax, so it's not even a concern for them. And what's a 10 day like? It's like ninety thousand dollars, something, something like that. For Archie Diacono, yeah, pretty close, man. Ninety five thousand nine hundred thirty dollars. Okay, okay. So it's not it's not a major concern in terms of yeah. the tax or anything like that. Nope. All righty. Okay, um, let's get into our top three teams to watch heading into the trade deadline. See, a lot of this is very, very fluid, and we do have the trade deadline coming up here in February, and we know that this is the time of year when things really pick up. However, there's some teams that we need to keep an eye on in terms of, are they going to be a buyer? Are they going to be a seller? How motivated are they going to be to make a move? So we each came up with three teams that we're keeping an extra close eye on as we get closer to the trade deadline. Um, Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first and I'm going to get, and I'm not, we don't know each other's lists. So That's right. I, you know, for me, the reality is I could give you, I could give you a little note on all 30 teams right. and why I'm, you know, excited about them going into the deadline. Um, I'm also going to say I took for me personally, I took the Pacers and Blazers off because I've talked about them kind of to the point of people are tired of it um, here. So I picked three different teams. So my first one, the Chicago Bulls. Okay. Um, the Bulls are 25 and 10. They are now two games up on both the Nets and the Bucks. Uh, they've won eight straight in the East. They're they're starting to close in on the uh, Jazz, Suns, and Warriors just a little bit uh, for the best record in the league. And the Bulls don't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. They they look pretty pretty solid. And now why I say that is they're maybe a piece or two away from you starting to look at them as like, man, this seems legit. And they 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 could contend. The other thing why I have my eye on the Bulls is they have the ability to make kind of a big move without hurting their current production levels. Okay. Because you're not going to trade Lonzo. You're not going to trade uh, Levine, Vooch, DeRozan, uh, not Caruso. Those are kind of your key guys. Around those guys, though, this is some of their tradable salary that they could move. And, and then... None of them individually is all that great, but you start stacking them together, they start to look pretty good. So I'm just going to kind of give them to you in, in alphabetical order here. Sure. But Troy Brown Jr., $5.2 million. Derek Jones Jr., $9.7 million. Kobe White, $5.8 million. And Patrick Williams, $7.4 million. And, and so I'll talk them in pieces. Brown and Jones combined – you're already at almost $15 million in outgoing salary. That's pretty good already for two guys that are kind of fringe rotation guys. They're they're in and out of rotation. But if you add Williams or White, 
who are also value plays for an acquiring team as mm-hmm. young players that, that at least have a couple more years left under contract, especially Williams. Um, now you've added not only matching salary, but you've added some value. Uh, they're a little shy on draft picks. That part is a little bit tricky for them to come up with. They got to get a little creative in the way they word those because it would have to be. If we've delivered to Orlando and delivered to San Antonio, then we could give you this. But that's something you can do with creative language on those. But I would think, you know, Williams is a guy I know a ton of teams like. And if you're the Bulls, I think you gotta you got to look at it and say, do we want to try to live in two worlds where we're pretty good right now, but then we've got these young guys that can help us moving forward? Or, or do we really want to push in and go all in and go for it? We just talked about Jeremy Grant. Mm-hmm. Another guy I think who would be great for them is Harrison Barnes. Um, yes. Very easily acquirable. Always Harrison Barnes, they, every, every year. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And Harrison Barnes is going to be for 20 teams this year. Yep. But acquirable guys because of their numbers um, and their play and positional fit. Also important there in Chicago because I feel like they need one more, more true power forward sized player um, to help them out. So, so I, I have them at the top of my list. All right, let me add to it uh, the Atlanta Hawks. I've got the Hawks currently sitting in there, sitting in twelfth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, recently, some comments from Trey Young about how it hasn't been very fun playing basketball this season, and a big part of that is their defense. They're currently the second ranked team in offensive rating and the second-to-worst-ranked team in defensive rating. They are giving up the second-most points per game in the entire Eastern Conference. So, the Hawks seem to be primed to make a move, and you've got movable parts. So I talked about this earlier. A lot of teams in the NBA, they like wings, and the Hawks have, well, ironically, plenty of them. They've got plenty of, of wings that they can move. I mean, if they were to put Bogdan Bogdanovich... $18 million salary. If they were to put him on the market, there's going to be teams interested. Uh, Danilo Gallinari at $20.4 million. There's another contract that can get you to something pretty good. You've got some young guys, too. And the Gallo one is almost like a pseudo-expiring. That's right. He's only guaranteed for $5 million for next year. So that that's, you know, that, that's enough that you could call that a pseudo-expiring deal. And then you've got some guys, Kevin Herter, who I, I imagine they're going to hang on to there, but uh, but Cam Reddish. Um, and Herter Turkey just... Because of the poison then, pill, because right. he's got the extension, so that makes him a little harder to move. So they've got pieces that teams will be interested in should they decide to put them out on the market. They've got a surplus of wings, um, even with the DeAndre Hunter situation, everything going on there. So I think the Hawks are a team that are primed to make a move, and I think these Trey Young comments about how basketball hasn't been fun that only pushes them closer to making something happen because they have such high expectations after what we saw out of them last season. And it hasn't worked out this year, but with those kind of expectations on them, I would assume that they will make a move by the deadline. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on them to see if if they have any kind of surge between now and then. But if they don't, you'd have to think that this team is going to need to make a move, get themselves into the playoffs, something to give them a little bit of a boost, get into the playoffs, and then hope to recapture some of the magic that they had last season. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to guess you said this too. Did you did you see this with... um? without seeing Travis Schlenk's comments, or have you seen those? Uh, no, I didn't see Schlenk's comments. 
Perfect. So they asked if he'd be active at the trade deadline. He was on a local Atlanta radio show. And he said, yeah, I don't think there's any reason for us not to be at this point. Clearly, we'd like to see the whole team on the floor together, but we also want to win. And right now we're not doing that. I wouldn't be doing my job if I just stuck my head in the sand and said things are great. I don't think that's doing my job. So that is a uh, True. You know, good call for, for you. Uh, also important to note, too, they have all their own draft picks. Yep. Uh, going forward for first rounders, they've got some some extra seconds. Get kind of a weird one that they're probably going to turn into two seconds from the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder as well. So uh, and then that kind of got weird protections on it as well. But yeah, they um they're they're definitely set up to to make a move for sure. Um, all right, I'm going to give you my next team. Okay. The Minnesota Timberwolves. I like it. Um, why I picked the Wolves is. I think this is a team that is very close to uh, maybe locking in one of those top six spots um, if they can get get their guys on the floor long enough here. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if they don't pull that off, uh, be they they can definitely put themselves in good position in the play-in, meaning being the seventh or eighth seed and only having to win a game uh, to get into the postseason. And I think making the postseason is very important uh, for this Minnesota team. And then they are just interesting enough that if they could get the right matchup, they could maybe make a little bit of noise in the playoffs too. Um, I, I wouldn't pick them to be, you know, if they were seven or eight, I wouldn't pick them to be Golden State, Phoenix, mm-hmm. or Utah. But if they could somehow get up to, to five, um, which is not completely out of the realm of possibility with the way things look in the West right now, um, I think they could get there. They, again, too, in order to, for me to be on a list like this, you have to have the ability to make a trade. Uh, they've got some expiring salary in Torian Prince and Patrick Beverly. If they really wanted to go that direction, that's uh, $27 million in expiring salary. Or uh, if they said, well, you know, Beverly's too good for us. Malik Beasley's a guy you could add into a trade. Um, so they can get well north of $20 million. They also have a lot of these kind of little deals that, that add up quickly. Guys like Josh Okoji, uh, Jake Lehman. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, where you could start to stack salaries together. Mm-hmm. If you could find a team that could do, you know, something where it's a three for one type of trade. Um, shocker, Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes would be <laughs> wonderful fits for the Wolves because I, I do think they need a, a four that can kind of hold their own uh, defensively. But but they should be in on anything except scoring from a nominal two guard. Uh, they, they've got that covered between D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley. Did that you're good on, uh, but just about anything else um, they, they, they could really use outside of, you know, obviously starting center. They don't need either because you have car Anthony Towns, but uh, I think the Wolves are, are an interesting team and I, I they should have looked and I didn't, but I'll look right now. I think they have all their own picks as well. They do. They have all their own first rounders as well. All right, I think that's a that's a pretty good team to go with, and uh, you know what they they compete, man. From seeing them a few times already this season, regardless of who's yep. on the floor, that team competes hard every single night. And you don't uh, need to tell me, man. They beat the Celtics, yeah, <laughs> pretty good the other day. They they beat up on the Lakers once. They almost beat the Lakers the other night without Carl Anthony Towns or D'Angelo Russell. Um, that team plays hard, uh, but chemistry is important. Right? It's important that you are, even if you are a rebuilding team, it's important that you're instilling the right values in that team, that you've got the right pieces in place so that you are able to grow your young talent. And with that in mind, I'm looking at the Houston Rockets. I think not only is, is this a team that 
has motivation to move on from Eric Gordon, but now you've had these recent issues with Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. And so then you have to ask yourself the question, what do we want around Jalen Green? If he's going to be our foundation moving forward, are these the guys that we want around him? I'm not saying, you know, maybe this is a blip on the radar for Christian Wood and then everything is fine after this. But Kevin Porter Jr. obviously has a history of these kinds of situations. So I feel like the Rockets have motivation not just to move on from Eric Gordon, but potentially to move on from a few of the young guys who maybe culturally aren't the pieces that they want moving forward. I think back to the Cavs with LeBron James, Ricky Davis way back in the day, deciding to make a, make a move there. You want to make sure that you're surrounding your young guy. If it's going to be Jalen Green, if it's going to be uh, Alperin Sengun, whoever it's going to be, that's going to be your main piece moving forward. You want to make sure that you're giving them, I sound like this is kindergarten, but like a nurturing environment <laughs> to to become the basketball players that you want them to be in. And so it's fair to question whether or not that's what you're providing with the current pieces that are on the team. And so even though we know they're playing for ping pong balls, I think there might be some motivation here to move some pieces and focus in on finding some high character guys to put in around your, you know, your guys and Jalen Green and your other players. Yeah, no, we talked about this with with Wood and Porter yesterday. Yep. Uh, my opinion was I think Wood nothing changed for Christian Wood with this. Everybody will look at that as all right, it was a bad day. Let's move on. Porter, that one becomes a little bit different because you have to clearly really think about what you're doing there. Um, and can he thrive with you? Do you have the right support system right. in place for him? But I think the other important thing that just using those two guys as the frame of reference uh, for this is you have to look at what do we have behind them? And are we trying to free up? And I think Alperin Schengen behind Christian Wood, big, right? Mm -hmm. Now we move on to him being our guy. A uh, little bit less at the guard spot, but you've got Josh Christopher, another first-round pick, um, who's played some and has shown some flashes um, that you, I think, feel like, yeah, we could throw him in there instead right. of Porter and move along. Um, they, they have Amarni Brooks, who's a guy that they signed uh, for a few years um, there, and then Garrison Matthews, who they just think to a contract as well, um, can slide in and play there. So I, 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 I like that idea because it's not like you're just giving up on young talent. You have guys to, to backfill. Right. Um, with there all right i'm gonna give you my last one okay. um here and this is um by by no means my last one like i said i could give you all 30 um but i think this team is they've been the close but not quite there for feels like a few years running now i wonder if the jazz really make an all-in move i was looking at them too i i, yeah. I really do wonder now we can insert the Danny Ainge was close jokes here if we want to um, now that he's running things in Utah. But I really, as I look at that jazz team, it just feels like, can you go through another full postseason run with the Gobert, Mitchell, Conley, Bogdanovich, O'Neal, Clarkson core in Ingles. Um, I should add in there as well. And then losing the second round because right now, do you put them above Golden State or Phoenix? I I don't. Um, I think those two teams are both probably better. I think there are a couple other teams, including the Lakers, that could give the Jazz some problems in the first round, mm -hmm. potentially. Um, so I really look at it and say, all right, uh, now I could see them making the finals. I'm not saying that they couldn't get into the finals. But I look at it now, the tricky part for them is you got to send out one of that core group right. to to 
do any kind of move that's going to be meaningful enough. There's been a lot of lot of stuff out there that that could be Joe Ingles at thirteen million dollars. Um, even uh, you know some some of the more uh, respected people in the league have started to buzz a little bit about that, including uh, Zach Lowe. Uh, dropped it in one of his uh, recent columns. Um, and Zach doesn't do a lot of it, so when he does, it really perks me up, and I'm like, oh, what's you know, what's he hearing here? What's going on there? So, I it, it would be unjazz like to make that kind of big move um, here. Um, I don't even know what they would do it for because that's the other hard thing is like, what does this team really need? Yeah. Um, but if 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 you had a team that where some unexpected guy came available and they took a big swing, it wouldn't surprise me if it, if it ended up being Utah. Here's the thing, though, with the Jazz. You have to be careful. They're number five in defensive rating and number one in offensive rating. That's championship caliber. That, that's, yep. a champion, that's championship caliber production right there. So you got to be careful that you don't go too crazy if you're going to make a move with them because they're already very, very good. And I think you sure. could make an argument that maybe they do just need to leave it. Like, I'm not saying it's what they should do because we've seen what happens to them historically in the playoffs. They're great in the regular season. They run an offense that's really tough to defend. Come playoff time, when teams can lock in on just them instead of, oh, we're playing the Jazz in the second night of a back-to-back on a random Wednesday in February. Yeah right where their offensive system really catches you come playoff time teams lock into what they're doing they tend to be able to figure it out and then the jazz wind up going home so number one i guess what piece is it that solves that specific problem that you can go trade for and then number two what does it do to your your team chemistry because again there's things that are working and you can make an argument that they're already so good that they could win a championship as is so you have to be very certain that whatever you do is the right move that solves that problem without rocking the boat too much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and I'm glad you didn't go to in, cause I know you, you know, actually watch the games and know better. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm glad you didn't go to and Rudy Gold bear gets played off the floor. Cause that doesn't happen. No. Um, people keep bringing that up. It happened several years ago against the warriors when they were kind of at the peak level warriors. And it was really only a couple games and it was just, the jazz were at that point, it was like, okay, we're going down. Like we got to try some stuff right here. That's the only time that's happened. He, even when they fell to the Clippers, he was out there. Now you could argue it caused them some problems, but I mean, are we going to hold it against them? That Terrence Mann went bananas in a game and that kind of caused them to lose a series. Hey, that's that starts to get a little tough. I just, it, here's my thing with the jazz is, if it's not this year, it's going to be if, if they fall short again, if they don't make at least the West yes. finals and really make a strong run or they 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 fall out before then, um, then it's going to happen this offseason. You, you have to. You can't you can't run it back again with the same pieces. You're going to have to do something to at least change it up just to give yourself a different look. Yeah, particularly if I mean, looking at the way that it things obviously plenty of time for things to change. But the way the standings sit right now. You've got the Jazz are the top team in the NBA in terms of net rating. But right behind them are the Warriors, then you've got the Suns. As it sits right now, they're playing one of those two teams in the second round, right? That's that's who you're going to be facing the yep. way things are set up at the moment. Um, that's rough. That's Because that means you could see an, a second round exit for Utah as of this moment. I mean, look, as of right now, they would get the Mavericks. I would obviously favor them against the Mavs. But a round two exit would mean potentially bigger changes coming. So... Again, I think they need to be aggressive and they need to try to find something. 
but they also have to be careful at the same time. Let's also look at that first round, right? Yeah. Because in the first round, I'm going to assume Memphis can maybe stick at four. I think they've created enough distance. Yeah. I think they're playing well enough that they're going to stick at four. So this means that if you're the Jazz, if you stick in the three spot, or even if they move up to the two spot, or maybe even the one spot, you're probably going to play, assuming the teams get in that we think, one of Denver, Dallas, or either of the L.A. teams. Mm-hmm. One, I don't care how poorly the Lakers have played at points of this year. No one wants to play LeBron James in our first-round playoff series. Sure. Now, I know we all said that last year, and the Suns beat them, but that was the Lakers limping you know, to, yeah. to the finish line. And AD going down season. mid-series exactly. and all that. Right. Um, That's still a tough matchup. But then... Denver? What if Denver gets Jamal Murray back? Like them, them, you know, them what? What if Kawhi's Dallas, back? Luka? Uh yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Or if Kawhi and, and Lord knows the Jazz have already had enough problems with the Clippers. Yeah. Even without Kawhi. Um, you know, or having to go against Luca for seven games. And you know, look at it, I always thought about this with like the James Harden Rockets when they were trying to take down the Warriors. Why they made those series even challenges, I think, a couple times is when you have a player that can win a game or two by themselves, now all of a sudden you've got a series that you didn't expect to be mm-hmm. in um, because you win a game or two, then you have a bad shooting night. They have a good shooting night. All of a sudden now you're in a game seven where anything can happen. So that's my thing. If I'm the jazz, I want to bolster this run. If I can now and maybe avoid that conversation next off season of, or what do we need to do differently to get over the hump? That makes sense. That makes sense. I, and I could see them absolutely doing it. Um, I'm looking at our time thinking we, we could have done two shows out of this as it turns <laughs> we out. We probably could have. Yeah. Every time I was, I almost jinxed it, Keith, before we started, I almost said, you know, we've got a pretty light day. I bet we knock this stuff out pretty quick. Right. But every time I think that we wind up doing one of our, our longer shows, that's just what happens when we start that's talking true. basketball. Um, final team, final team. And I'll be honest, I did have the, the Blazers on my list because that team does not look like they're yep. enjoying playing they basketball. Have. Um, so they, they were on my list, but to make it a little bit more, more challenging, uh, and I know this is a team that I've talked about recently, but I think it's the Cavs. I think that they've already got the, to some degree, they've already considered parting ways with Colin Sexton. There's teams out there that would want him despite him being out for what we believe is going to be the season. There's teams out there that would take the chance and say, okay, we'll trade for him. We'll do what we need to do contractually, and then we'll have him after that. There's teams that will give you something. And I think the Cavs, being one of the the bright spots of the season, one of the surprise teams of the season, they've got incentive to do what they need to do to make sure they stay as a playoff team. And how amazing would it be for Cleveland if they can not just make the playoffs, but have home court advantage in the first round? Like That would be huge for them. So I do think the Cavs have all the motivation in the world to make a move, maybe using Colin Sexton's contract, maybe using some other pieces that they've got. But I see this as a team where it just makes so much sense for them to make a move. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on with that. They're still sitting on, despite all of the injuries and everything else, the fourth best scoring differential in the league behind the three West teams uh, that we just talked about, Utah, Golden State, and Phoenix. Then it's the Cavs, plus 5.3 points per game scoring differential. They're they're still sitting their best team in the East as far as scoring differential goes now. It's clearly not everything because they are, uh, let's see, five games out of first place. 
but that tells you that they're a pretty good team. You don't get your scoring differential that high um, without that. If anything, that tells us they've probably been a little unlucky. Let me look. I'm going to look at basketball references well, version of this just because I'm curious. I mean, just they think, are like, 21 and 16. Their expected record is 25 and 12. Okay. So, yeah, that, that's, so that's pretty been. unlucky there. Yeah. And then you figure, I mean, compared to some other, you know, the Bulls just won two games on DeMar DeRozan buzzer beaters. Like that, those kind of things shift a lot yep. in terms of, of how we view view squads. So yeah, you're absolutely right. They're still, they're still right there at the top. And again, that it feels like it's right there for them to really solidify their spot. So yeah. I think they need no, to go for yeah, it. Absolutely, man. I, I think that's a great pick. I think, um, and we've, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it because we've talked about it, but sure. they've, they've got a lot of things that they could do. Um, they also, as of uh, right now, they have the easiest schedule left in the league um, too. So they, they've played the hard, one of the hardest schedules to, to this point. So um, they've got two games left against the magic three against the Pistons, one against the Rockets, one against the Pelicans, two against thunder, and then three against the Pacers. So um that's that's pretty good stuff if you're if you're the the, the Cavs you're that that those are all that combined with the net rating combined with you know everything I would say yeah this is a group and then combined again with the uh, fact that they haven't been very good in a number of years now uh, that all says to me well, let's let's do it let's load this thing up and let's make a run yeah yeah absolutely I, that's that's the route that I would go here if I was them. All right. Well, I think we are setting up for, if nothing else, a pretty active trade deadline. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that have motivation to do one thing or another. Uh, but it be interesting to see what ultimately happens. But those are the teams that we are keeping an extra close eye on. Everybody, thanks so much for joining us. Make sure that you do subscribe right here to the NBA Front Office YouTube channel. Turn on those notifications as well. If you listen to the podcast version of this, follow us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.